to a thousand generations. What kind of heritage? That's what it challenges me to think about that, that statement. What kind of heritage am I leaving to my kids and their kids and their kids and their kids? Wow. Hey, before I launch into the message, again, I just want to say thank you for, for watching. I know you could be doing other things right now, but you've chosen to, uh, to watch and to be a part of this uh, worship event online. And I am incredibly grateful that you chose to watch. Thank you. I don't think I can say it enough. I, I appreciate it very much. Well, um, I'm pretty sure all of us have been wondering, when will this end? When will it be over? When will we get back to normal? So I'm going to pause and just uh, give you a little pastoral advice here. What was normal isn't coming back. Uh, now, somebody's not going to like that, and that's okay. Uh, click on send message and tell me all about it. And, and I'll try to talk, tell you why I say that. Uh, the, the world has been changed and transformed, and there's certainly uh, uh, no going back. There will be things that are, we'll go back to doing some things that we did before, but uh, the world's different now, and it's going to stay different. Part of our desire to go back to the normal is that we're grabbing onto whatever it seems uh, that we can find it to bring a measure of stability or certainty to our lives. Sadly, uh, we could snag a package of toilet paper more easily than grabbing a hold of, of what tomorrow will bring and having an idea that, uh, for sure of what's going on. Stability and certainty are gone. They've, dis they've disappeared. Our sources of security fell away. Well, let's just be honest, our sources of security fell away uh, in a matter of days. COVID-19 upset all that we thought we knew. Coming face to face with the fact that we never really know what may come next. Uh, coming face to face with that, it breeds anxiety and uh, impatience. Have you noticed uh, that we're getting tired of waiting we're not as patient as we were a month ago. We question and complain about stay-at-home directions and what to wear and what not to do and where not to go. And we're asking, when will it end? What will we do after this disease has run its course? What really are the unshakable foundations we can stand on? How, how can we find uh, and receive the peace that we crave? What does the Bible say about finding solid foundations for our lives? A few ancient Je uh, Jewish prophets foretold a time when all kinds of people, all ethnic groups, uh, would invite each other to turn to the Lord with these words, come, let us go up 
to the mountain of the Lord. The prophets declared that everyone would expect to hear the Spirit of God teach them how to live in peace, to guide them and direct them in their lives. So this raises a question, for, for me at least, in, in my heart and mind, where and when can we, can I, hear the Spirit speak? There was another prophet, a man named Elijah, who asked identical questions. Uh, it was amazing to me that he would ask these questions, but uh, he did. We find the record of his search and uh, his discovery uh, in 1 Kings 19. But first, let me give you the backstory. It's, that's found in 1 Kings chapter 18. Um, and I encourage you to read both these chapters uh, later. Uh, after a three-year drought, Elijah called the entire nation of Israel to meet him on top of a mountain, the Mount Carmel, and he challenged the idol-worshiping priests to a showdown, um, power confrontation, so to speak. It would be a simple test. Uh, each group, uh, each side uh, would build an altar, would put a sacrifice on it, and then the priest and, and then Elijah would pray for their to their respective deities to send down fire to consume the sacrifice. And whichever, whichever one of the deities uh, answered deserved the nation's worship and allegiance. Once and for all, they thought we were going to, they said we we're going to decide who's really in charge, who really is God. So Elijah allowed the, the idol worshiping priest, the priest, priest the Baal to go first, and nothing happened. They prayed nearly all day. They started in the morning and waited till late in the afternoon going into the evening, and nothing happened. So Elijah said, okay, it's my turn. When Elijah prayed, fire fell and ignited the sacrifice, um, burned up the, the sacrifice, the altar, and a whole bunch of water that Elijah had poured on it to make sure everybody knew he didn't cheat. And it not only ignited the sacrifice, this fire ignited a great awakening, a revival, so to speak, uh, at Mount Carmel, a revival of trust in the Lord as the people began to chant, and the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Elijah prayed then afterwards, uh, after this sacrifice, Elijah prayed until a huge rainstorm ended, ended that three-year drought. It was an awesome day of victory for uh, the Lord and for uh, Elijah. But that's not the end of the story. Uh, as we come in to move into 1 Kings 19, the, the 19th chapter, uh, it tells us that King Ahab told Queen Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. Yes, uh, uh, losing that power confrontation uh, led to their death. Um, and so Jezebel, the queen, uh, sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. If by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. In other words, uh, by the power of my gods, I'm going to kill you. 
So how did this victorious prayer warrior uh, respond to her threat? I mean, this prophet who had just called down fire from heaven uh, and prayed up rain from, from, uh, to end a three-year drought, what does he do? Does he pray for fire to consume the queen and her soldiers? No. Does he pray for God to protect him? No. Does he confront the queen? Does he go to her and confront her with the fact that her idols didn't answer the prayers of the, the priest and he really doesn't expect them to be, have the power to kill him? No. Look at what it says. 1 Kings chapter 19, 19 verse 3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went uh, a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I, I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate and drank and then laid down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. So let, let, let's think about this. When, when the king, uh, the queen promised to kill him, this mighty war, prayer warrior, this victorious prophet ran in panic. Uh, he ended up hiding in a cave on the backside of the desert. He ran for 40 days and 40 nights, putting as much distance between him and the queen as he possibly could. And he ended up hiding in a cave. And the Lord takes this opportunity to rock Elijah's world. And through Elijah, uh, the Spirit speaks to us as well, I believe. First uh, Kings chapter 19, starting at verse 9, <clears throat> excuse me, and the word of the Lord came to him, came to Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. It just 
try to picture a wind like that. I have never experienced it. I've seen winds that have caused damage to the roofs and to buildings. I've seen the effects of tornadoes and hurricanes. I have never seen or heard of a wind that tears mountains apart. It goes on, the record goes on to tell us that the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. So the, the Spirit spoke to Elijah in a gentle whisper, not in a powerful windstorm, not in an earthquake, not in a consuming fire. He spoke to him in a gentle whisper. So it brings back the question, where and when can we hear the Spirit speak? Judging by Elijah's experience, we do not need to find a secret place. We don't need to find a cave in a mountain in the middle of the desert. We don't need to watch for wind and storms and earthquakes and fires. We just need to lay aside our expectations. The Holy Spirit speaks in gentle whispers. We often fail to notice. Now, what did the Spirit speak to his down and out prophet? Tells us in verse 14, uh, 15, chapter 19, verse 15, the, the Lord said to him, said to Elijah, go back. Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha to succeed you as prophet. And the Spirit told him that these men would deal with his enemies. But then notice verse 18. I reserve 7,000 in Israel whose knees have never bowed to Baal and whose mouths have never kissed his idols. Not in the wind not in the earthquake, not in the fire, but in a gentle whisper, the Spirit speaks and says, 
Elijah, what are you doing here? You are not alone. I love you. I am listening. So here would be the sermon and the sentence for this day, the thing to kind of hang our hats on. And remember, when the Holy Spirit speaks, when the Holy Spirit speaks, he always expresses God's holy love for us and to us. I would venture to say that the Holy Spirit is always speaking. I think that's part of his ministry, for him to always speak to us. So that raises a very valid question. Why don't we hear the Spirit speak more often? For some of us, why don't we hear the Spirit speak at all? If the Spirit is always speaking, why don't we hear him? Well, looking at Elijah's experience, I, we don't hear the, God speak because the Holy Spirit speaks in unexpected times and in unexpected places. Let me share something I read recently. Uh, one of the version reading plans, uh, Bible reading plans called How to Pray. is written by a man uh, named Peter Gregg. He says, most people today miss the voice of God, not because it's too strange, but because it's too familiar. They expect the Almighty to sound dramatic, unmistakable, and a bit spooky. The gentle whisper of God sometimes comes as an idea or an impression during a time of quiet prayer. But more often it comes afterwards during a time of distraction while I'm doing something else. He goes on to say, we often want God to speak in a way that's obvious and convenient for us. But God's voice can sound so ordinary, so gentle, so quiet, sometimes so subtle that we're not really sure it's his voice. And God doesn't always speak to us in our allotted quiet times. We expect loud and obvious. We think we want loud and obvious, uh, although the people at uh, Mount Sinai heard loud and obvious. There was a mighty wind, there was uh, an earthquake, there was fire, and there was the actual voice of God that terrified them. You can check that out in Exodus chapters 19 and 20. They basically said to Moses, he's scary, he's loud, you talk to him and tell us what he says. We expect loud and obvious, we want loud and obvious, we think, uh, but the Holy Spirit speaks when and where he decides to speak. We, we don't often hear God speak because we, he speaks in unexpected times and places. Uh, we also don't hear God speak because the Holy Spirit speaks in unexpected ways. From another devotional I read recently, it says, most of the time God's voice is not what we expect. 
God speaks in a variety of ways. Sometimes he speaks to us through his Bible. Sometimes he speaks to us through pictures that we see, through sounds, through nature, through music, uh, through other people, and even through our own thoughts. These things are so familiar to us that we often just discount them. The, the ways in which God speaks are endless because he's infinitely creative. We must be in the word. We must be in the Bible, however, uh, and know what the Bible says, because when God speaks, it will always line up with his nature, his character, and what he has revealed about himself in the Bible. The more time you spend with God in the Bible, the more you will know when he speaks to you. He speaks in a variety of ways, and usually ways we don't expect. Elijah was, pro was probably hoping for wind and fire and earthquake to sign and give him clear direction, and what he got was a gentle whisper. Instead of a message saying, I'm going to kill your enemies, he got a message that said, uh, I'm listening. You're not alone. So we don't hear because the Spirit speaks in unexpected times and places. He speaks to us in unexpected ways. And we often don't hear God speak because the Holy Spirit speaks unexpected words. We want clear, practical answers to our questions. We want certainty and security. Uh, we expect the Spirit's words to relieve our anxiety and to, to dissipate any fear that we may have. But the Holy Spirit speaks expressing God's holy love for us in a quiet whisper. In all of these things, uh, time and place, way in words, we need to lay aside our expectation because the Holy Spirit speaks the way he and in the places and at the times that he chooses. And if we're only looking for our expectations, we will fail to notice his message to us. We will will not discern the quiet, gentle whisper, will not pick it up. The Holy Spirit speaks distinctly, most distinctly at the cross of Jesus. At the cross, the Spirit speaks through Jesus' sacrifice. At the cross, the Holy Spirit speaks words of unshakable love. How much do I love you? The Spirit asked, I, I love you enough to die for you. Jesus' sacrifice declares you simply cannot do anything to make him love you more. There is nothing his love can do beyond what he's already done for us on the cross. And you cannot do something to make him love you less. At Jesus' cross, the Spirit speaks, expressing God's holy love for you. 
Spirit speaks, you are loved. You are not alone. I am listening to you. Now, as you follow Jesus, times will come when he invites you to lay down your expectations for him. And simply trust him. So I wonder, is, is this the day you stop simply saying, not my will, but yours be done, and start truly praying it? Is this the day you trust his unshakable love, no matter what's going on around you, is this the day you begin to say, nothing can separate me from his love that is in Jesus? Is this the day you make a decisive decision, commitment to serve, to submit to the king? Will you give yourself to King Jesus with me? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I hear your gentle whisper. I hear your loving voice calling me out to a place where I can only stand by faith, by trusting you. I say yes to your invitation. My life is yours. There's no one else like you, King Jesus. You won my heart when you gave your life on the cross. My life is yours. Take my expectations. Open my ears to hear when the Spirit speaks. Jesus, this is not a one-time event. This is a commitment to daily surrender. I give you all my life. Every last day, I am yours and you are mine. Amen. I would love to uh, be able to continue uh, praying for you. Uh, and if you have questions, in uh, things you're trying to think through in regards to making that kind of a uh, decisive commitment and surrender to Jesus, uh, please just click on that send message uh, button and send me a message. And if you would rather do it more privately, uh, send me an email directly at pastormark 
Haynes gmail.com pastor mark haynes at gmail.com again i want to thank you for watching i appreciate it uh, i hope you have an opportunity to share uh, this morning's service and worship with uh, someone who may need to ha hear words of encouragement because brothers and sisters we are sent you are sent I am sent. We are sent to infuse our area with the hope of Jesus. This is a world that desperately needs to hear from him. So go in Jesus' name. Go pick up the phone and call somebody. Go send a car. Go send an email. Reach out. Love in Jesus' name. You're sent.